0: Shabbat Shalom and greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. So blessed that you are here this Kadosh, Kadosh Shabbat. Join one another and greet one another in the live chat, please. Edify one another. And remember, you can always connect later at TorahToTheTribes.com forward slash connect. And in fact... We do have, let me check my notes here, we do have a new Thursday night Bible study, which is going to be hosted by our dear sister from the deep south in Louisiana, Libby, and it is the One New Man series. So please sign up on Shabbat Fellowship for more details about that. That's going to be a great upcoming series. I am sure, and we are so blessed to have Libby just teaching that. She is very gifted, and I am very, very honored and privileged to be able to have the ministry host such a wonderful time. So please, take advantage of that. And uh, if you're watching this later, then Put some comments down in the comments section and make some connections with one another. And now would be the appropriate time to give us some blooming thumbs up, would you? And the three of you that like to give the thumbs down, Don't know why you always tune in, but you can do that too now, just so that you're consistent. And the rest of you, strap on your seatbelts. We are going into a new book of the Torah today, Shemot, the names of the children of Israel. And we are in Torah portion Shemot, chapter 1, verse 1, extending through chapter 6, verse 1. There's so much to do. How am I going to get through six chapters in, um, I'm going to try and keep it under an hour and a half, right? An hour and 15 would be nice. And these are the names, Shemot, of the children of Israel. Shemot, the names of the children of Israel who came down into Mitzrayim, Egypt, with, of course, Yaakov, Jacob. The journey to enslavement in Egypt and then the eventual deliverance and birth of the nation. Now, we're going to dig in a little bit to a few subjects and topics within this portion, see if I can break it up for you. Number one, we're going to look at Moshe, of course, drawn from the water. Moshe, one to be drawn from the water. We're going to look at the bush and the fire. We're going to also look at the virgin birth today. And no, I am not going to do a Christmas message. I have not backslidden into paganism. It just so happens that it is within this week's Torah portion and it is appropriate. We're going to talk about the tale of the sandals. And we're going to look at the signature of Yahuwah versus the live life claim to Yahuwah and try and clear up some confusion amongst our ranks with that. Of course, we cannot forget the three promises that Yahuwah made to Israel from Genesis Bereshit chapter 42 verse 2 where it is written, and Elohim spoke to Israel in the visions of the night, and said, Yaakov, Yaakov, and he said, Hineni, here I am. And he said, I am the El, the El of your Abba. Fear not to go down into Mitzrayim, Egypt, for I will there make of you a great nation, a goy gadol. A goy gadol in the Hebrew, a great nation, I will go down with you into Egypt, and I will surely bring you up again, and Yosef shall put his hand upon your eyes. The three promises that Yahweh made to Israel. Number one, that he would be with them. Number two, that he would make them a goy gadol, a great nation, And number three, that he would bring them out again. He would not leave them down there. Now, by verse 9 of our text, Yahweh has already fulfilled two of the three promises. Because the Elohim that you and I serve, he will not leave us. He is the fulfiller of promises. And his promise to you and I is that I will complete the good work in you. He's not going to leave us in the grave. He's not going to leave us in the nations. He's not going to leave us in slavery and servitude. He's the Elohim that brings out and the Elohim of the fulfiller of promises. Now, the Masoretic text tells you that 70 trundled down into Egypt. But, of course, the Septuagint... The Dead Sea Scrolls and the New Testament testify that there were 75 that went down into Egypt. So I'll go with the testimony of three rather than the thousand-year-after-the-common-era traditional makeup translation of the Mazarites, which is shady in many, many places, especially when it comes to the record-keeping of Mashiach. So, all that to say this, Look now as we are introduced to Moshe in, of course, Exodus, Shemot chapter 2 and verse 1. And there went a man from the house of Levi, and he took as a wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months." Of course, the type and shadows here of Mashiach are dripping, right? Here's Moshe, the one who would bring salvation and deliverance, and he is hidden for three months. And of course, we know that Yahushua, bringing salvation and deliverance, was hidden within the tomb for three days and will be revealed in the third day, the millennium, or 3,000 years later, of course, as a day is in a 1,000 years. Now we go on in verse 3, and it is written, And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of wicker and coated it with slime and pitch and put the child inside, and she laid it in the reed by the river's bank. And his sister stood far off to know what should happen to him. And verse 5, And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river and her female Avedim servants walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, let me pause there. Well, the ark, where did the ark first begin? The ark is a vessel of salvation, and of course the ark first began with Noah. And what we see is we see this development of the ark, the vessel of salvation, pitched and tarred. Meaning, as it first began with Noah, and now develops as the biblical events unfold, we have the bulrushes with Moshe, Then we have the ark and the construction of the tabernacle, an ark for the preservation of Israel. Then, of course, we have Jonah placed into an ark, if you will, and how long is it for? We have a day as a thousand years. We have the symbology of three. What is that, what is that whale, that ark of the whale? It's a vessel of salvation that actually brings salvation and deliverance to Nineveh, a people that were in paganism and slavery. So you can kind of see the thematic elements progressing through the narrative of Scripture. You really have within the ark a womb of life. Even the whale was a womb of life carrying Jonah, bringing new beginnings to the people of Nineveh. Moshe Rabbeinu brings new beginnings to Israel. As Noah brought new beginnings to mankind, and Yahusha brings new beginnings in the whole context of salvation, which is the ark. Here we have a seed carrier floating down the river bringing freedom to a nation. Now you have to pause and think about the concepts. A seed carrier floating down a river bringing freedom to a nation. And then it's written, and she sent her servant to get it. Here we have women thwarting the plan of Pharaoh, just as we had the women oftentimes thwarting the plans of the Pharisees when it came to Yahushua. And of course, when he was upon the tree, there was all the women thwarting, of course, the plans of Satan, which was to discourage and, of course, to get Yahushua not to fulfill what Yahuwah had him fulfill. Oh, if it be your will, take this cup from me. But no, he was encouraged to continue on with that ark of salvation. Which, of course, brings me to the next subject, the virgin birth. And how on earth, you say, you wonder, how on earth is he going to bring the virgin birth into? The text of Shemot. It's got nothing to do with it. This must be some churchy New Testament context because this is the Torah of Judaism. No, this is the Torah of Israel. All 12 tribes scattered abroad and the sojourner, the stranger that wants to join in and come. The Torah is one Torah for all. The natural born, the home born and the stranger. This isn't a Jewish thing. This is an Israelite thing. And here we see how religion tampers with the text over the centuries to try and hide what is in plain sight. That's why I love breaking down the translation. That's why I have a strong inclination to the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew that was in use at the time of Yahushua whereas the Masoretic text was translated in about 900 of the Common Era. So it's, you know, 1,400 years later than the Septuagint, and it has a prejudice to it, an anti-Yahusha prejudice, that the rabbis went in and tampered with the text, I believe, 184 times. I'm trying to remember from long times ago, but it was in quite quite a considerable amount of times. Verse 6 of chapter 2, this is why I want to talk about the virgin birth, because it's right here within the text. I'm not making it up. I'm not inserting it. It's right here within the text. And when she had opened it, she saw the child and see the baby wept. And she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Ivri's children. This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call for a nurse from one of the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? What does verse 8 say? Aaron, give me a translation. What have you got? Verse 8. Chapter 2. Give him him a microphone, because you've got multiple translations at your fingertips. Are we on? Is it on? All right, you relay the message to me. Okay, so what translation is that? N-E-T. Huh? The N-E-T. N-E-T. That's the Net Bible. And um, you've got young girl. I have made, many of you look in your translation. We have anybody with a different translation, the maid or young girl in verse 8. What do you have? Oh, you have what? Eved, Eved, Eved. What translation are you using? Oh, nice! You've got the um, Restoration True Name Edition 7th. Oh, you know, this is my favorite translation. Very nice. Leather. They've improved the... um, I'm going to take this here. They've improved... um, Not that I'm... Yeah, they've improved the binding on this. Back in the day, it wouldn't last you a year. It would be falling apart. So we've upgraded here. We've got gold leaf on the side. This is great. And, of course, you actually have proper biblical paper in here, not the thick cardstock. So this is a grand improvement from over a decade ago. So this translation, my favorite translation, side note, it says, Eved. All that to say this. What does it say? Regardless of our English translation, we know that Judaism denies the virgin birth. But here we have evidence. Bona fide evidence of the virgin birth. How? Well, Eved, maid, young girl, is translated into, is a translation from the Hebrew word, Alama, the Hebrew word, Alama. Alama, the Hebrew word, Alama, is translated into virgin. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the infamous, or should I say famous, infamous to Judaism, famous to us, virgin birth passage, is the Hebrew word alamah. Seven times in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, we have this Hebrew word alamah. And it was never disputed that it meant virgin until Yahusha came along. And then the rabbis switched and they began to dispute what they had never disputed before. Seventy rabbis in excess, the finest rabbis according to Judaism, that translated the Hebrew of Yahusha into the Septuagint, Greek, they had no problem. They had no problem with the reality, excuse me, that Alama means virgin. 70 Jewish rabbis translated Alamar into the Greek in the Septuagint as Parthios, virgin, hundreds of years before Yahusha, when translating the Septuagint. But Juden's modern, 2,000 years modern position is that Betula, Betula is the actual word that means virgin. It's not Alama, Judaism says now for 2,000 years. It's actually the Hebrew word Betula. Why? Well, there's a problem. Because Alama proves of the virgin birth. So therefore, they retranslated Alama to mean maiden, servant. Various things only and not virgin. And then they came up with the idea that betulah is what we'll use for virgin, because then that crosses out the Isaiah 7:14 prophecy. Does that make sense? But we have a problem. because in Deuteronomy chapter 22 verse 14, we find the Hebrew word Betulah which Judaism, for the past 2,000 years, has been telling us means virgin. But in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 14, it's talking about a girl who isn't a virgin. So how could that be? This isn't consistent. Deuteronomy 22, excuse me, verse 14 makes abusive charges against her and brings up an evil name upon her and says, I took this woman and when I came to her, I found her not a virgin, Betula. So how can Betula mean virgin? Well, according to the 70 finest rabbis of Judaism, it certainly doesn't. Alamar does. It only means virgin, Betulah, since Yahushua came along. Why is that? Why the change? Because you cannot have the Isaiah 714 prophecy if you believe that Yahushua is not the Messiah. Everybody tracking with me so far? So you have to ask yourself, what text is the majority text, meaning the better text, the Septuagint or the Masoretic text? I will always go for the Septuagint. Why? It's the older text. It's been verified by 70 in excess of the greatest rabbis, according to Judaism, not me. And it is, of course, attested to by more history. And it's been used to proclaim Yahushua as the Messiah born of a virgin, whereas the Masoretic text has been used to proclaim how many messiahs? Anybody? 68 failed messiahs. Well, which one do you want to go with? 68 failed messiahs have been proclaimed through the Masoretic text, or one true messiah has been proclaimed through the Septuagint. I'll go with the Septuagint. That's just me. That's my opinion. Even Rashi, the French rabbi of about 1040, the common era, who's revered as Judaism's darling rabbi, he believed the creator would come to earth through an untouched woman. And Rashi's commentary on Isaiah 14 Behold, the Alama virgin, shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This means, these are his words, not mine, this means our creator will be with us, and this is the sign. The one who shall conceive is a girl who never in her life has had intercourse with any man. This isn't Christian dogma. This is from one of the chief rabbis of Judaism, around a thousand in the common era. Do you see how the translations attest? And this is what I was sharing with my wife. I said, the longer I'm in Torah, and we were talking about this last night, the longer I'm in Torah, the more I'm in the word the more I am convinced that Yahushua is the Messiah. The more evidence I have. Whereas when I was a traditional Christian, it was based upon faith, but I I didn't have the textual evidence. Yeah, I had the New Testament textual evidence, but now I don't just have the New Testament, the Brit Hadashah textual evidence. I have got the whole weight of the word that testifies to it and history, And there are the translation, deliberate cover-ups that are exposed through the Septuagint. It increases and strengthens my faith. I am more convinced that Yahushua is the Messiah now than I was 24 years ago. Verse 15 That was my side note, see, so bear with me. No, that was not my Christmas message. Good night. Verse 15. Now, when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moshe. But Moshe fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian and he sat down by a well. Of course, Moshe Rabbeinu has this struggle, this vexation now of his natural man versus the man that he is called to be. Does anybody relate to that? Have you ever felt like slaying somebody and burying them in, in the sand? This is what happened. You see... This is before Moshe Rabbeinu's appointment by Yahuwah to authority. You see, when Moshe is challenged, as many of us have been in our life, there's the temptation to crack under pressure, to go back to who we used to be. And here in this instance where Moshe slays the Egyptian, this is where Moshe is challenged and he cracks under pressure, and then he flees. He did everything by his natural strength. He did everything by how he used to be. He was quick to reprimand, even brave maybe to kill. But within, he was weak, and he was empty. And I think about when I first started started teaching Torah, I was very defensive, I was quick to challenge and quick to reprimand. Why? Because really I was new to Torah and I didn't have the confidence, so I hid it with that aggressiveness. Whereas now, further down the road, it's permeated into my every being that I'm in Shalom. Because now I'm not trusting on my intellect and my knowledge, but on that my life has changed because he has changed me. It's so much different. And this is the struggle that we all must engage in. Joseph, Jacob, Abraham, the struggle of not doing it by might and strength, but by doing it through true transformative Moshe Rabbeinu could not stand under testing. When tried, he grew afraid and he fled to the wilderness of Midian. And it was only when he had the vision, when you have the vision and when I get the vision, the vision, if you will, metaphorically of the bush that is a flame that Yahuwah appoints us to us, next season of authority. Does that make sense? As a leader, Moshe shouldn't have been touched by men's words. You and I, we cannot be touched by men's words. And in this day and age, you have people that are afraid because they are literally being touched by people that they perceive, they perceive in positions of authority as giving a mandate or a command. And they are terrified and touched by men's words, not realizing that we are all equal. It's called equality. It's equity. I don't care. Yes, you honor the position, but you're still a man. And we're not to have the fear of man. And we're not to be touched by every word that comes out of man. We are to be beyond that. Moshe at this point was not beyond it. He was touched by men's words and because of it, 40 years he was sidetracked from the mission. 40 years he was sidetracked from the mission and he fled and because of that there was a postponement of the divine calling in his life if you want to postpone the divine calling in your ma- in your life the best way to postpone the divine calling in your life is to listen to men's voices to have the fear of man and to believe in the dogma and doctrine mandates or whatever they would call it, of man. Because they will come and go. They will flip-flop from day to day like a ship without a blasted rudder. They don't know what's up from down, what's black from white. They have no clue because they will shift like the sand on the seashore. We have to get beyond that. And you see it in this world. You see the dichotomy, don't you, of people of faith and strength who are overcomers. He shouldn't have paid attention to how people criticized him. He shouldn't have paid attention that if people got angry at him. He shouldn't have cared if people accused him. Because the facts are on the moon. It matters not what they accuse you of, it matters not. That's where all the controversy is. We do not have to be a part of that. We have a divine mission to ascend beyond this natural order. Because Moshe got disturbed and overwhelmed by the words of others, he fled, and he had to wait to fulfill his divine calling. I do not want to wait to, to fulfill my divine calling do you I don't want to wait time is of the essence it was only when Moshe was able to bear the op- listen it was only when Moshe was able to bear the opposition of others that he could lead effectively Can you bear the opposition of others? You have to be able to bear the opposition of others. And that will enable you to lead effectively. It's only through pain and painful experiences that we can be delivered from ourselves. The process is the pain. The process is the pain. Let the process go. Work through the process and you'll work through the pain. But they want you to surrender and give up because they are of a different nation, a nation of slaves, a nation of pagans, a nation who do not follow the one true living Elohim. So then we see in verse 16, now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. There's a lot within here to unpack metaphorically, prophetically, and spiritually. And they came and drew ma'im, the Hebrew word for water. And they filled the bowls to give ma'im water to their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moshe stood up and helped them and watered the flock. And when they came to Ruel, their Abba, their father, he said, how is it that you came back so soon today? Verse 19. And they said, well, this Mitzri, this Egyptian, delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and also draw drew enough Maim water for us, and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, well, where is he? And why is it that you've left the man? Call him, that he may come, eat, and break bread of a meal. Again, we see from Moshe and the ark and his name, meaning to be drawn out, we still see the water symbology here in the narrative. Why? Because Yahweh is the Elohim of the well. Because there was no handing out tracts, there was no gospel evangelism back in those days. It was you dropped a well in the middle of the desert where there was destitute and death all around, vultures, and you named the well after the deity, an attribute of the deity. Of course Yahuwah El Shaddai, etc., etc. And then, think about it, you'd have some pagan going through the desert, about to die of thirst and starvation, and they would come across the well of salvation, drink from the water, and the name of the well would have the name of the deity, and surely they would inquire and go into the village and go, what is the name of this well? And, And that was how the gospel, the good news of Yahweh, was manifest to the nations. That's why Abraham, wherever he went, he would drop a well. Meaning this, well is spiritual knowledge. It's the well of spiritual knowledge. The seven daughters represent the disciples of Yahweh, The good shepherds who overcome the flesh are able to drink from the well. The flesh here is represented, of course, By the selfish shepherds that were keeping the women, the disciples, away from the well. And wells are found where? In the Torah. Are there people that are trying to keep you away from the wellspring of Torah? Would have you doing something else today on this pagan Roman date rather than keeping Shabbat. Correct? It's not right. But it's what there is in the nation. But Moshe here, he stands up. Because the Torah is able to stand up against those who will keep you from gaining access to the deep wells of spiritual knowledge. Oh, well, the law of Moses is done away with. They don't want you to have access to the deep wells of spiritual knowledge that are contained within the laws of Moses. Moshe broke bread, meaning he partook of the Father's wisdom. And what did he receive when he partook of the Father's wisdom? He received Zipporah. And what does Zipporah mean? It means enlightenment. So once he partook of the Father's wisdom, he received enlightenment. So here's the teaching regarding the well. If we will only sit down at the Master's feet break bread, partake of the deep well of Torah, of the Father's wisdom, will receive the enlightenment that he promises us as his disciples. I sat in church for a decade going, I don't get it. He says, if you come to me, you will never thirst and you'll never be hungry. And I am Dying of thirst and hunger, and this sermon on Sunday is not going to get me through the week and stop me from sinning. How do I live? I know that I'm saved by the blood of the Lamb, but how now do I live? Oh well, you know, you just kind of got to be good. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? And if you're a girl, well, you can't wear a skirt above your knees, and there's no dancing. Well, what the, Where's that in the Bible? Well, just come to Red Lobster with us and we'll tell you all about it. What? I mean, none of it made any... Now, I see the parameters. This is how we now live when we receive the enlightenment and drink from the deep well of Torah. Covenant has to come to be known that Yahushua brings me into a contractual agreement. I have obligations now. Because I said that he is mine and I am his. Therefore, I have a contractual obligation to perform. He has compelled me to... Do you not understand compelled performance? This whole world is all about compelled performance. This whole commercial world is all about compelled performance. They're compelling you to perform. But is there a contract to which you sign that you must perform? Well, there is for me in Yahusha. He fulfilled the new covenant contract. I accepted it and returned it to him. Thus, there is a contractual obligation on my part to perform according to the Torah. It's so simple to me now because I see it everywhere. Compelled performance. Now, The problem with the world. They don't want you to understand compelled performance. They want you to perform however they compel you, but they don't realize that compelled performance means there must be a contractual obligation. Show me. Where did I sign that? That's commercial. Where? Show me and I shall perform. But they want you to perform without the contract through coercion, fear, all of that folly. You don't have to. But I did sign a contract with Yahusha. By accepting him as my savior, I now have a contractual obligation to perform according to the covenant. And if I don't, then I will be in dishonor. And if you don't, then you will be dishonor. But if we do, then we are blessed abundantly in all areas of life because that's the fruit of the covenant. I've oh, just blown my own mind here. That wasn't even in my teaching. Just came and left me. Moshe goes to the well and he finds a bride. Then he's sent to bring salvation and deliverance to all Israel. I mean, this is John 4, isn't it? Yehusha goes to the well and he finds a Samaritan woman who realizes he's the Mashiach. In essence, she becomes his bride, one of the ten tribes. Then Yehusha goes down to those enslaved and brings salvation and deliverance to a whole city. It's just a sideline connection. Let's get back to the burning bush. Let's get onto the burning bush. I mean, there's too much for me. It's just it. Now, Moshe, calm the Henry down. Okay. Now, Moshe kept the flock of Jethro, Yitro, his abba-in-law, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Now, if you want to read the parallel passage, you've got to read this in the book of Yasha. It's good. Book of Jasher, Jethro, the sapphire stick, it's great. Anyway, he fled to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of Elohim, even to Horeb, and the Malach, the angel of Yahuwah, appeared to him. Now, the Malach of Yahuwah, according to the rabbis, is the prince of Torah or Moshiach himself. Moshe's teacher, who will then lead Moshe to a higher plane that he'll finally overcome his natural man. In a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, the messenger of Yahweh appears encircled by a thorn bush. This was an acacia bush. Acacia, of course, throughout Scripture... Is a phenomenon in itself, because acacia was used to weave baskets which appeared a course upon the bread man's head when he was hung. Of course Absalom was encircled by an acacia tree. Of course Jonah was encircled by weeds and thorns. And of course Yehusha, when they made him a platted him a crown. It was the acacia tree, which are the big thorns. So here we see the symbol of fire. Power is introduced. What do you think Yahuwah is trying to teach us through Moshe, the one who's drawn from water? Only through the water of life and the fire. Of the Ruach, your passion, your passion and fire for Yahweh. Can your soul really come into its essence? Let's be purified by water. Let's be purified by fire. And fire, of course, is symbolizing of the Ruach HaKodesh. I want to be regenerated from my old man. I want to be regenerated from that which would keep me from doing all that I can do for my family, for my, my Hebrew family, for my mishpocha, my people, you guys. The 12 tribes scattered abroad and the foreigner and stranger that gets the message and says, I want to come and join your Elohim. Well, then come. It's one Torah for all. We're all equal. What a concept. That's in the Torah in itself, in Numbers chapter 14. And then we come where Yahweh says, Now take off your sandals from your feet. In Exodus, Shemot, chapter 3, verse 5. And he said, draw not near here, but put off your Birkenstocks from your feet. For the place on which you stand is Kadosh, holy ground. Well, what is the whole meaning behind this? There's a teaching here. You'd have to go to the book of Ruth. Turn there with me, and I'll take a sip. Ruth, chapter 4, verse 5, let's look at what this really means. Take off your Birkenstocks, take off your sandals, Levi, Moshe. Ruth, the book of Ruth, the fourth chapter and the fifth verse, explains to us what this really means, this term, this phrase means, and of course we'll see it, threaded from the Torah, through now into the writings, and then it will appear in its full revelation in the Brit Harashah in the New Testament. And it really is about our calling and our sanctification to Yahuwah. Then said Boaz, on the day you buy the field now of course we know it's dripping with boaz is dripping with the mashiach the kinsman redeemer who redeems a bride from the nations he she who wasn't is drawn in i mean it is it, is so much you've got the messianic line going through ruth but i don't want to digress from the sandals then said boaz on the day you buy the field from the hand of naomi You must acquire also Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead for upon his inheritance. Ruth chapter 4 verse 6. And the kinsman redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I ruin my own inheritance. Redeem my right for yourself for I, I cannot redeem it. Now this was the manner in former times in Israel concerning the redeeming and concerning changing. For to confirm all things, a man plucked off his sandal and gave it to his neighbor. And this was the testimony of Israel. Therefore the kinsman said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he drew off his sandal. Now, this is about Leverite marriage. Or in the Hebrew, it's called the Torah of Yebum, The Torah of Yebum, the King Jimmy, Leverite marriage. You find it in Deuteronomy chapter 25 and the ninth verse. Then shall his brother's wife come to him in the presence of the Zachanim elders and loose his sandal from off his foot Now, don't try this today, because especially with COVID, you might get arrested. You don't want to be spitting in somebody's... I mean, I know you've been tempted to do that, but you don't want to be spitting in anybody's face. And you'd need your shoes anyway, because you would really have to leg it fast at that point. Because the popo would be all over your carcass. But anyway, I digress. We live in a modern world. I'm sorry, sometimes I just, you know... It's that, oh, it's that struggle between... It's that Roman 7 problem with me. Then shall his brother's wife come to him in the presence of the Zachanim and loose his sandal from off his foot and spit in his face and shall answer and say, so shall it be done to that man that will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him that his sandals not loosed that's a long name isn't it this is the sign in torah of what this is the sign in torah of surrender of surrendering your rights now you have that understanding look at john chapter 1 verse 27 You see, this world, through coercion, through force, through fear, wants you to surrender your rights. But the scripture tells us there is only one to which you must surrender your rights. And if you surrender your rights to anybody apart from Yahushua, you have become surety and you have taken a pledge that you should not have done and you are actually performing against the commandments of Yahuwah. And that's a big statement. Do not surrender your rights to anybody but Yahushua. Do not become surety. And do not shake a hand in a pledge because you will become ensnared. That's what this world is trying to get you to perform to do. You only surrender to Yahusha. Because by surrendering your rights to Yahushua, you will gain more than you ever, ever had. But you surrender your rights to this world, you will become surety and they will take you and throw you into prison. That is what this world and that is what the Bible teaches. This is a moral, spiritual obligation, and there is nothing more important for you to comprehend in this crazy, I won't say it, there's children present. It's got to do with a bat, and it's got to do with, you can figure it out, in this world. Okay. Let's get back to John the Baptist, not the bat, but the Baptist. I'm trying to make you laugh in the back here because I'm not sure. Because you're looking at me and I'm not sure. I'm feeling intimidated. We've got the new guest and it's young. How, how old are you? 15. That's my son's 15. You're just not like they're coming into their youthful own. And you're like, sometimes they, like, are they giving me the stink eye? Or are they just like inquisitive? Trying to read the youth, you know? But you're here, and it's the Sabbath and we're in the word, so blessings onto you. How old are you? See, I'm not sure He's not sure now either. Oh there's much work to be done. See this one, he's used to it. He's had to <laughs> John chapter 1 verse 27 He. It is, who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandals I am not worthy to unloose. There's the teaching. John the Baptist is, in fact, saying to Yahushua what? I have no rights. I have no rights to you. All that you have, I am unworthy of. So what is Yahweh, in essence, saying to Moshe? I am redeeming you, Moshe. I have rights to you, Moshe. Moshe, surrender to me. I lay claim to you. You're mine. We only surrender our rights to Yahuwah and his blessed son because otherwise you're letting the world lay a claim to you. but guess what? I already have a claim to me. I already have a lien against me. And that lien is the blood of the... He owns me. He has claimed to me. So everybody, you stand behind Yahusha because he's first in line, first in time. First in time, first in line. So death, where is thy sting? Face of man, fear of man. Where is it? They're all lining up behind Yahusha, And if they want claim to me and claim to you, then they can get in line behind Yahusha. If you accept that you surrender your rights to him. Do not surrender your rights to this world. It's a supernatural mindset. Mindset soul, conviction, you can go through anything. You can go through anything. Because it matters not. I came into this world naked, out of my mother's womb, and I will go out of this world naked. And I know that's too much for you young children to think about right now, but don't think about that. So There's a lot right there, isn't it? The tale of the sandals, from the Torah to the book of Ruth to, of course, John the Baptist. I'm surrendering. I want to take full responsibility with Yahusha. Now we get into a really interesting part of the scripture that sadly many have been taken on a side rabbit trail of That I hope, in all humbleness, I'm not here to tell you what to do. You must do your own conviction. But I hope to be able to bring forth some information that would help you to maybe re-navigate. But it all depends on whether you can humble yourself or whether you are so, so confident of your intellect and knowledge that you've got to beat down the rest of us. Because I know, because I used to be like that. So this is just to help. So don't hate me. I'm just the messenger. The signature of Yahuwah versus the live life claim to Yahuwah. And that's a specific term. It's specific legal ramifications, but we won't get into that. Because the live life claim is his true name. Whereas the signature is slightly different. And this is where the confusion comes because the Torah is the legal document of legal documents and all law comes from the Torah. And Moshe said to Elohim, See, when I come to the children of Israel and shall say to them, The Elohim of your fathers has sent me to you and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And the word of Elohim said to Moshe, Eyer, Asher, Eyer. Now the King Jimmy says, I am who I am. What? I am who I am? And he said, this shall you say to the children of Israel. Eyer, or in the King Jimmy, I am, has sent me to you. Here's the teaching. The signature of Yahweh should not be confused with the live-life claim to the true name. The signature of Yahuwah should not be confused with the live-life claim to the true name of Yahuwah. This is not some new to Torah make up the name game of Yahuwah. Sorry to inform you, I know many of you are zealous out there, and there's nothing wrong with zeal, but sometimes zeal can be misplaced. Take it from one who has walked down that path many a time. This new zeal that many of you have for the Torah doesn't mean we get to have this super special secret angle on some hidden name that has now been revealed to just this few in this study group clique. That's that's not what we do. It's an asinine assumption in my point of view that's based upon pure conjecture and pure theorizing that this is about some super secret name. Pure theory and conjecture and speculation. And it flies in the face of the plain sense of the text, the Peshat. It flies in the face of thousands... Bear with me here. Some of you are already switched off. Go get your friend and bring him back. It flies in the face of thousands of manuscripts. It flies in the face of the Hebrew in the time of Yehusha. It flies in the face of my favorite translation, the Septuagint, which is, of course, a translation of the Hebrew of that period. It flies in the face of the Dead Sea Scrolls. It flies in the face of thousands of Greek manuscripts, which you can track back through the Septuagint to the Hebrew of the time of Yahushua, and it flies in the face of archaeology and the Paleo-Hebrew. Please, please, don't fall into the division, the pride and the super-secret knowledge that isn't there that the deception is that the signature of Yahuwah is, same, is the same as the live life claim to the name of Yahweh It's simply not. The signature of Yahuwah is not the same as the claim to the live life claim to the true name of Yahuwah. I could make a poem out of that. And I'm I'm being funny, but it's really a very serious subject. It's simply not true. This is why so many are still in slavery in this world, because they don't understand the distinction and the difference between a signature and a live-life claim to the name. Even with your own man, you're all out there signing things left, right, and center, becoming surety for a fiction ending up in slavery because you don't realize that you are the live-life man, the living soul, the sentient moral being. And you're contracting with fictions through signatures. It's right here in the scripture, there is a difference between a signature and a live-life claim. This is what is happening here. The signature is... Aya Ashe Eya. That's the signature. He that was Yah is still Yah. The Aleph He Yod He, this is talking about the plurality of divinity that is being expressed to Moshe. The signature of Yahweh again to reiterate, impactful statement, please listen. It is not the same as a live life claim to the name Yahuwah, the tetragrammaton, the Yod He Wah He. That's the live life name, live life claim of the true name. The signature is the Chaya Asher khaya, pronounced Eya Asher eyah. That's the signature. John chapter 8, verse 58 expressly. Yahushua said to them, Amen, ve Amen. I say to you, before Avraham was Eya. And they took up stones to cast at him. But Yahushua hid himself and went out of the Bet Chamikdash. Yahushua is informing them of this very precept. Yahushua signs his name. The name from Shemot is the signature name. That's why they took up stones, which in fact was the old altar. They took the stones from the old altar of the temple and they went to stone him. Why? Because he just gave them the signature of Yahuwah. He gave them the signature of Yahuwah. I mean, is Yahuwah's name really I am? Or is Yahuwah's name really "Ehyeh Asher, Iyar? No. This is where the confusion comes. And it becomes a little clique, a little click. I mean, I think it's ridiculous, and it never made much sense to me back in Calvary Chapel when they said, oh, his name is I Am. I'm like, okay. Because I Am in the Hebrew is not what is written here. I Am in the Hebrew is Anochi, is Anochi. Or Ani means I Am. It can be either Anochi or Ani. So why the Eyer Asher Eyer? Bear with me through three verses Genesis fifteen seven, Genesis twenty eight verse thirteen, there you are, and Shoftim Judges chapter six verse ten. Genesis fifteen seven it is written, and he said to him, I am Yahuwah that brought you out of the air of the Chaldees. Genesis twenty eight verse thirteen. And see, Yahuwah stood above it and said, I am Yahuwah. Elohim of Avraham, your father. Judges, chapter 6, verse 10. And I said to you, I am Yahweh your Elohim. Fear not, the Elohim of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. The interesting thing, I've read you from the English translations, but these verses don't just say, Ani, I am as it's translated, they say Ani Yahuwah. Ani Yahuwah. So with this understanding, how the text of Shemot, Exodus chapter 3 verse 14 reads, is Aya. Asher e He that was Yah is still Yah, is the signature of Yah. He spoke this to the sons of Israel. This was by the leading of Yah, the one he is sending forth among you. This is the Aleph, He, Yod, He, or the plurality of divinity being expressed through the signature of Yahuwah. There has to be a separation and distinction between your signature and your live-life claim. One is a shadow and one is a living reality. The ones out there of you, Yahweh's mercy and grace upon you, that have got caught up in this Eyer, Asher, as the name of Yahuwah, you are following shadows based upon secret knowledge and a click. And I love you, but you need to make Teshuva and come to realize that this is a bone of contention. It is a controversy that you are bringing to the faith. And we all will be held accountable if we try and bring a controversy where there is no controversy. I'm not here to judge you. I'm just here to hopefully help as many of you have helped me. You take it or you leave it. I'm just the messenger. Please don't hate me. Please don't hate me. I've ruffled some feathers. I've never done that before in my life. I've never ruffled feathers. That's a first. That's a first for me. (laughs) Ah. All right, let's finish on something. Let's finish on a positive note. Let's talk about the bridegroom of blood. Blood. Emphasis on the blood. It's interesting, isn't it? Who wants to be circumcised when they're 13 years old? I'll do it. 13 years old. With a piece of flint. It's interesting. Back in the day, uh, I'd sit in the um, Muslim quarter in Jerusalem and get some nice Turkish coffee. Go to see the little, go in the little Bedouin Arab community there. And I was shocked one time. Absolutely shocked. I didn't know it at the time. But I see, you know, like three or four 13-year-old Muslims running down the street with a white sheet over them with a patch of blood right down this area. I'm like, what is going on? And there's all this festive, you know, shouting and tiddly-widdly what whatever that means, and um, I'm asked the old Arab shopkeeper, "And what, what's up? Did somebody get shot in the... <whistles> yeah, explain this. No one well, knows. This is a custom. Circumcised at 13 years old. What? You do what? At what? With what? Well, this is a Bedouin tradition that, of course, got brought into Islam, whereas the Hebrew way, is uh, on the eighth day. Which one would you prefer? Moshe? (laughs) A Levi? (laughs) Anyway, Gershon, Moshe's son, was spoken of as the bridegroom of blood. Here's the teaching. In the Hebrew, chatam damin, chatam damin, the bridegroom of the covenant or the bridegroom of blood. Think about this. This is Malkit in essence. It's 430 years since the Genesis 12, Genesis 15 promise. With the cutting and the flaying of the pieces where the smoking oven and the burning torch passes through the covenant of the pieces, fulfilling the death penalty position that somebody has got to die if this covenant is not fulfilled. This is the Malki 101 right here. So some of you are going to have to go and back up to the Malki Zedek series to see what I'm talking about. Genesis 12, of course, is... The unconditional covenant promise. Genesis 15, because Moses, uh, um, because Abraham says, well, how do I know that I'm really going to be able to, you know, inherit the land? There's now this contractual arm attached to the Genesis 12, which is conditional in nature. Oh, okay, because now you have a lack of faith. There's a contractual arm now attached for you to get access to the true promise of Genesis 12. You're going to have to fulfill this contractual obligation, meaning you're going to flay open the pieces. The burning oven and the flaming torch are going to pass down the middle which of course is Yahushua, and Abraham rejoiced in my day to see me. That's the moment. Meaning, if this covenant is not fulfilled, and then circumcision was the sign, the wedding ring, if you will, a chapter later that was attached in bookend the whole deal. If you don't fulfill this covenant, somebody's going to die, right? Therefore, now, 430 years later, this covenant is, is just about to be fulfilled in Moshe Rabbeinu's hearing. Not only he's actually going to be the one who fulfills it, and they're going to come out of Egypt, they're going to come to the mountain, they're going to receive the Torah, and whoop, they're going straight into the promised land. There's no 40 year thing here, they're going straight into the promised land. This is Yahweh's perfect will. It doesn't quite work out that way. Because the covenant was broken with the golden calf. But now we back up to here. Why is Gershon called the bridegroom of blood? Why is it that Moshe is about to be afflicted and die? Because what? If the covenant isn't fulfilled, somebody's got to die. Was it fulfilled? with an uncircumcised male of your household? No! Moshe was about to implement and bring in the Covenant and release them from Egypt, yet he didn't have the token of the Covenant fulfillment even on his own descendant. That is why he was afflicted with a death sentence here. So this is an anthropomorphic way of saying that Moshe fell suddenly ill into a serious illness. Why? Because he postponed the token of the covenant on his son. Now, anthropomorphic is a big religious word that just means a what? Yahweh expressing himself through human terms. Hand, feet, or the sickness in a man here, Moshe. This is an anthropomorphic expression. So I don't want to put you off by using big religious words, but it is a good word that describes you know, the hand of Yahuwah, the face of Yahuwah, the breath of Yahweh. That's anthropomorphic, right? Anthropomorphic Yahuwah. Judaism would say, oh no, Yahuwah would never appear as a man. <laughs> uh, really? <laughs> the whole Torah is full of anthropomorphisms right now i bang that word to death right because i like words 430 years think about it 430 years and the covenant promise (laughs) it's just about to be fulfilled however how can it be fulfilled if the token of the covenant hasn't been implemented on the next generation, somebody's going to die. It's just going to be Moshe. Moshe's going to die. Moshe is going to die. You're going to die? Or would we have it that the flaming torch and the smoking oven, Yahusha, that he's the one that dies, that then brings us back to the fulfillment of the Genesis 12 Malchizedek promise. So Zipporah's like, no, we're going to do it right now. We're going to get a piece of flint, old school style, and we're going to do the business because we want to be the fulfiller of promises, not the breaker of promises. And that could be the end of this week's Torah teaching. But there's more! Because this one really, really ties in with the whole deception of Judaism and the virgin birth and the monking with the text. But they weren't monks, they were rabbinicling with the text, if you were. Go to verse 20 of the fourth chapter. Verse 20 of the fourth chapter. We see that Moshe mounted his family on a donkey. It's very easy to just read through that. But I oftentimes, you know, like to read history. And Rashi, who is, like I said, Judaism's darling one of the most revered rabbis of about 1,040 of the common era, a French rabbi. He lived from 1040, I think, through to 1105. And he says in his commentary on chapter 4, verse 20, that this was the famous donkey. What do you mean, famous donkey? This, this is according to Rashi, this was the donkey The Avraham used to bring his son Isaac to the Akedah, the binding. This is the donkey that was used to bring the sacrificial son. But he doesn't stop there. I'm like, how could you say this and not see? This now is what Rashi says in addition to that. Quote, Why was a donkey chosen for Moshe's mission? Moshe mounted his wife and children on a unique donkey. This was the donkey which Avraham himself prepared for the journey to sacrifice his son Yitzhak. And it is the donkey on which Moshiach is going to be revealed as the verse states that Moshiach is a poor man riding on a donkey. And then Rashi directs us to Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9. Thy king cometh unto thee, he is a Zadik, and having salvation, Yeshua, lowly and riding on a donkey, Upon a colt, the foal of an ass. And you tie that in, of course, with John chapter 12, verse 15. Let me break it down for you. You have a rabbi that lived in a thousand of the common era, a French rabbi, taking verse 20 of Shemot chapter 4 and attributing it to the sacrificial slaying of the beloved son, Who is a metaphor for the Mashiach who will be revealed to the nations by riding in on a donkey? This is a man that doesn't believe that Yahushua is the Messiah. Yet he's attesting to him. These are the types of things that that grow my faith because it is everywhere. We have one life to live we must live it for yahushua we must be fully committed and sold out to the savior the one who rode in on a donkey the one who paid the death penalty position we must live life claim to the true name of Yahweh, and never ever surrender our rights to anybody but yahushua himself because then he lays claim and lean to us and then everybody else will stand behind him and they will be judged in the day of judgment according to that word and testimony. Whether they believe it or not, it matters not. The word has gone forth and it shall not return void and we shall all be held accountable to it. There's some things that I've spoken today that have vexed some of you but the word has gone out and now you're held accountable to it just as i am yahweh's peace be with you yevarechecha yahweh vayishmrecha yehere yahweh panav lecha vegeneka yesa yahweh panav lecha vayasim lecha lecha shalom may yahweh bless you and keep you May Yahweh's face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May Yahweh lift up your countenance. And may the peace of Yahushua HaMashiach, the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace, be upon you. Let's see what you've got to say in the chat. Be nice. And again, you don't have to agree with me. I barely agree with myself. Of course, my wife, she agrees with everything I say. Camera. All right, let's have a look. See if you want to say something saucy, Crystal Rosa, stick it up in the chat. And we shall see. All right, give me a moment here. All right, live chat. Get ready. I'll take a sip. And if you have some questions or comments, then please put it up in the chat. It's good to make a red line because it draws my attention. And remember, Thursday night, new Bible study with the Libby Tube. And you can sign up at Shabbat Fellowship, TorahToTheTribes.com forward slash connect. If you're still with us, give us some thumbs up. I think it's a bummer that they don't let you know how many thumbs down. I mean, I like to know the good and the bad. But you see, with this whole world, you know, people can't stand a bit of criticism. They can't stand the negative. Bring it on! I mean, it just makes you stronger. But no, now we're hiding the thumbs down. Why? You can't take some negativity? I'm so used to it. All the haters, all the lovers, you know? You take the rough with the smooth. Don't hide the rough. If you're going to get rid of the rough, you should get rid of the smooth. See, they say there's equality and equity. That's what they say. But there isn't. Because if there was, you'd be able to thumbs me down right now, and I'd know how many thumbs me down. I wouldn't be worried. Oh. <laughs> Ah, I need a holiday from me. All right, let's see what we got here. Oh, Shiloh, Shiloh, Torah to the tribes. You like words, you said, anagrams too. How does this wordsmith suit you? <laughs> oh, oh, can I even say this on the YouTube? You know, I'm not going to say that, but if you want to read it, it's Shiloh, put it up in the chat, all right? Because I don't want to uh, get jacked by the googly-woogly right now. Greetings from down under, Annette wants, oh, you can't be put in, are you, that is almost, Some fighting talk, putting Vegemite up in the chat. I don't know, I don't know about that. Marmite on butter on toast, I'll take that. I'll take that. See, I need a little bit of um, light refreshment after that uh, somewhat heavy teaching for me. I mean, I was in it, in the teaching. (sighs) Dave Perry, hey, Shabbat Shalom, Dave Perry, Matthew, why don't you want to talk to me? I'm here, I'm talking, put it up in the chat, there's there's no me not wanting to talk to anybody. Well, that's not true, actually, yeah, there are some people I'd rather not talk to, but you're not one of them, Dave, be blessed, be blessed, and Yahweh's blessing upon you, glad to have you here, Baruch Hashem, Yahweh. Oh, what is, Kevin Neater, what is today's beverage of choice? This is a Diet Stewart's Fountain Classic Root Beer, cold-brewed draft since 1924. It's got zero calories, and it's full of all kinds of things that will keep me going. What they are, I do not know. (laughs) I don't usually do sugar-free, but why not today? That's what I grabbed, so that's what you've got. All right. It looks like uh, we don't have too much redlining going on unless I'm not working the chat properly today. Live chat as opposed to top chat. Cameron, Shabbat Shalom, Cameron in... California. Shalom, Brother Matthew. Thank you for the name as it has been a dividing subject among our Torah to the Tribes congregation. Shorey, and I love you and miss you. Hope to see you soon. I hope to see you soon. Guys, if you um, have some time off and you want to come up, then you know, we'd love to host you. Um, blessings to you and your lovely wife, Shorey. Blessings. Thank you so much. Well, I tell you. Any questions, comments in house? Anybody? Any objection? I object. We've got uh, Gabriella Shabbat Shalom. She's in Hawaii. Most probably sunny over there. Sister Gabriella. Ah, oh, yeah, Jose Baruch Hashem, Hosea, Jeremiah 16, verse 21. Therefore, behold, I will this one cause them to know. I will cause them to know my hand and my might. There's an anthropomorphic term, and they shall know my name is Yahuwah. That's going to be my word of the day. Shabbat shalom, Chris de La Rosa. I'm glad I answered your question. Karen Long 40 years without Zipporah, woman, 80 years with her as a helpmate, 120 years, life of Moshe and also mankind, 40 days of cleansing for the baby boy and 80 days for the baby girl. That is right. That is right. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. Scrabble, Annette Wilson. I haven't played Scrabble since I was a wee boy. A wee boy. That would be fun. Truth-like Velcro, rabbinicaling. There's a long word for Scrabble. Is that a legit word, though, truth-like Velcro? Where are you at, truth-like Velcro? Are you in Arizona Think you are put it up in the chat truth like velcro i think diesel grandma and diesel grandpa may be coming to you this weekend oh john weaver you decided not to visit today i see Armain main they are main we miss you brother miss you it better not be because you're doing something pagan put it up in the chat if you backslid today john weaver if i will find you Yes, thank you, Kevin Niebling. Hmm, a 430-year-old donkey. Exactly. That's the thing with the rabbinic um, commentaries. They do stretch it, don't they? I mean, they stretch it. Yeah. in 430-year-old donkey. Yes, it's a similitude. It's a similitude. I mean, they don't give you that, though. That's the thing. I mean, what they're doing in yeshiva is just filling filling people's heads with all kinds of stuff oh bruce edmonds uh-huh. oh bruce edmonds and he, he's got it he knows what i'm talking about all right see you. we won't go into that too much on the old youtube right keep the private private and the public public uh. What else we got? All right, I think we're coming to the end of the chat. Oh, we got Joe, um, oh, we got Ro Jogan, Ro Jogan. Did you change your username? Were you Joe Rogan last week, but this week you're Ro Jogan. Amazing sermon, Matthew. Well, thank you. Praise, praise Yahweh. Very good point—not to give our way, not to give away ourselves to Babylon, especially in this day and age. Crying out loud, and the system therein, with respect to who we serve, Yahusha is our owner. He is. Mark Waltz sounds like my old wide world, wide church of God. Well, you know, I've said many, many times, I've got my brother Aaron here in studio, who's a worldwide Church of God man, who was um, in the UK in, what, the late 90s, right? Keeping Suko before any of us, many of us, certainly before I was keeping Suko. So many, many in the worldwide Church of God have got so much of the truth. And, um, you know, I'm so thankful for that... Um, what would be the word that uh it escapes me denomination denomination back in the 80s right more the 80s when when was it was that armstrong passed away yeah yeah late 80s yeah yeah early 80s sorry yeah so much good work so much foundation stuff there good stuff so yeah so yeah maybe some of this does sound um worldwide of church Worldwide of church. <laughs> LEV. Is there an implication with the brides of Joseph and Moshe being daughters of pagan high priests? There is, there is, but we don't have time to dig it out. Oh, I have, Mr. Nieebling? Are you at the beach, Mr. Niebling? with the whole clan, with the Nibbling clan, that I've been cracking you up with my side comments today. Does that, is that good or am I in trouble with your lovely wife and my lovely wife? Because the two of them are get together. And I wouldn't put your phone number up in the blooming chat, Mr. Perry. You will get absolutely jacked, my man. Get rid of it. You're going to get all kinds of trouble. You put that up in the chat. You know They're going to be Selling your credit cards, they're going to be spamming you. Get it out of here. Fruitful 06. Thank you for this teaching today. Always edifying and deep, very thankful for Torah to the tribes. Thank you. And thank you all, those of you that do support the ministry. Without your support, we would not be able to continue all this time, all this years, all this faithfulness, bless you and please consider consider giving to Torah to the tribes ministry it's before the year end it's a great time to be able to do that so please look at you can text us right down there there's the number you see it it's right there you can text or you can go of course right there and follow that link thank you all so much for your graciousness and your kindness and support i am so looking forward to the feasts of yahuwah the feasts of Yahweh coming upon us. We're going to have Passover. Yahweh willing. Will we still? Will we still be here? Oh, we've got pagan Purim before them. We don't keep that one, by the way, because it's not, not one of the Moedim. Like Hanukkah is not one of the Moedim. You know, it's not one of the. I mean, how many feasts are enough? You want to follow Yahweh's feasts, or again, you want to jump out of Christian tradition and then start getting into some Jewish tradition? I'd rather leave the traditions of men alone, wouldn't you, Dougie? Dougie? That's what we were talking about last night. Hey, there is so much in the Word of Yahweh that is truth and liberating and life. Why take on more baggage? We're trying to debaggage, debaggage the man, debaggage the man. Well, brethren, I am blessed. Let's do a blessing and a prayer over my dear, dear sister and her husband down there in the depths of the deep south. The Libby Tube, Sister Libby, who's faithful. Thank you so much for the videos. Um, They were the DVDs. But it might have been better if they were videos because at least I could go out and buy a video recorder and get the whole system working. But we're going to pray a blessing on you, Sister Libby, and your household right now because you're about to embark on an amazing adventure of Thursday night Bible studies of one new man. So join me in prayer for my sister, your sister in the faith. Abba, we just pray your bracha, your blessing upon Libby, Father, that she would truly just be your voice in the wilderness to show and help people to come into the fullness of your faith, Abba, into the community of who we are as Hebrew Israelites, Father. We are so thankful for your message, and for your servants. And we just pray your bracha, your blessing upon our sister as she now administers this great teaching of one new man through your Holy Spirit, B'Shem Yahusha Malkitzedek. And everybody said, Amen and Shabbat Shalom!